Well, that's a great old song, Ron. I appreciate that. I remember my mother and grandmother singing that as well. And uh, now that we're older, we can appreciate, indeed, living a life in Christ for many years, sweeter as the years go by. Thank you for being here tonight. We have some visitors again tonight. We're glad that you can be among us. And uh, hope that you've had a blessed day. If you were here with us this morning, we certainly were privileged to honor the God of heaven and worship. And to be here again tonight and look into his word for a while and sing praises and approach him in prayer. These are great things and wonderful, wonderful edifying experiences for us that God has designed for us. We're thankful to him as such a loving heavenly father. The thing that I have to talk about tonight is um, frankly not all that pleasant to talk about, but something that needs to be discussed uh, and from different angles and aspects of it. We're not going to explore everything that could be said about this tonight, but I'm concerned as many of you are, with a country that glories in its shame. Uh, I think even a young child knows that if you do something wrong, you shouldn't boast about it. You shouldn't be happy about doing wrong things. And, and the, the, the reality is in our culture today that uh, there's a lot of that's going on. And uh, we're going to talk about some of this issue just from a biblical standpoint and try to understand uh, what God has to say about it there is a God in heaven. He has spoken to us in his word. He has expectations for us. And to understand what he wants from us and how to honor him, to understand that sin dishonors him and should not be something that uh, is celebrated, uh, those are just basic concepts of spirituality. Now, I know there are a lot of people in the world, and there may be some here even tonight, that disagree with those concepts. But I think it's important that we give God a fair hearing on the subject, and that we as believers understand what his expectations are for us and for our society. In Proverbs 11 and verse 2, the wise man said that when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then comes shame. All throughout the Bible, pride is viewed as a negative thing. It is abhorrent to God who before him, certainly none of us has a right to be proud or uplifted or exalted in his presence. We don't compare to him in any way. He is so much higher, holier, and greater than we are. So we understand how pride is one of those things listed in the book of Proverbs that, that God surely hates. And yet, again, it's something that uh, in our world today, a lot of, a lot of folks like to boast about, just the fact that they have pride. Sandy and I were vacationing in San Francisco two years ago this month in June, which in our country sometimes nowadays is known as Pride Month, and we were struck how in the Bay Area uh, the news media was focused on positive coverage of so-called pride events celebrating LGBT plus community, and um, I, I say we were struck by that. I, I, I'm not saying I was surprised by it. It's kind of what we expected. Uh, this, you guys might remember that vacation was kind of quickly put together because I wasn't able to go to Africa. And so Sandy and I decided to go to the coolest city, not cool, cool, but cool temperature-wise in the United States. And uh, we, we enjoyed our time there. God's creation is beautiful around the San Francisco area. And we enjoyed seeing God's creation. But we didn't notice all of this hoopla that was going on, uh, and, you know, related to Pride Month. So that wasn't surprising. 
But I remember commenting to Sandy at the time, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how that would go over in North Alabama, you know, if the, if the news media was just all focused on celebrating pride events uh, all over the area. And I shouldn't have said that because, sure enough, I've noticed this, this month, the beginning of this month, several of our local stations have, have covered some of the pride events that have been going on with, you know, positive coverage and encouragement and all that sort of thing. So I shouldn't have wondered that, I guess. But the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 12 wrote about what he calls the deeds of darkness. He lists fornication among them. Fornication is sexual immorality of any kind. And uncleanness, he says, talks about fornication and uncleanness. And he says about them in Ephesians 5 and verse 12 that it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Paul's view of all of that is certainly much different than the view that's commonly held in the world today, even among many people who call themselves Christians. Well, why would, why would Paul say that? That it's shameful even to speak about those things, let alone celebrate them. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul here writing to the church at Philippi, and I might just say that in the world in which Paul lived, in which the gospel came into the world, first century uh, Greco-Roman culture, the Roman Empire, that all of the things that we're seeing today were known in that day and time. There's surely nothing new under the sun. And every letter in the LGBTQ and everything else uh, you know, community that, and, and, and movement that we have in our country, every bit of that was known in the Greco-Roman culture of that day. And there were some in the churches that Paul wrote to and worked with, we'll talk a bit th- about this at the end of the lesson, who had been any one of those things that you wanted to name. So that's just the reality of it. It's not like Paul's some, he's never heard of this b- before, we've never heard of, you know, that's not the reality of it. Paul's dealing with the same kind of world that we're dealing with today. That's the reality of it. But in in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18, he said, Many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. English Standard Version said they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul saw the same thing in his time that we're seeing today. It shouldn't surprise us that the Bible has answers to modern problems because the Bible has answers to all problems. And God knows the nature of humankind. And he knows where our weaknesses are. And he knows how societies become when hearts are not set on him. Brother Holt sent out an article this week in the Eastsiders email list written by Ken Weaver, and uh, the title of it was Pride Isn't a Virtue, It's a Vice. As I said to begin the lesson, any child (laughs) would understand that concept. But as is shown on the screen, and Greg referenced this on Thursday night, I told Greg after the lesson Thursday night he referenced this in his lesson, And I said, you know, I've been working all afternoon just hammering away, trying to develop a sermon on this. 
And, uh, and now you've gone and preached it on Thursday night, and I haven't got time between now and Sunday. I was telling someone Thursday night, I haven't got time between now and Sunday to start a new lesson or anything like that. He said, don't worry about it. By Sunday, they'll all forget. So uh, <laughs> I trust that you haven't forgotten, but you might not mind a reminder of some of the things that he also said. But there was this event at the White House a week ago Saturday uh, celebrating uh, what they call Pride Month, and it featured a, this massive rainbow flag that was flanked by two American flags on the top of the president's residence. When we see that, a Bible-believing Christian knows that the United States of America is not our true home, and that we have citizenship in another kingdom. And may I say to you, that's exactly where the Apostle Paul goes in Philippians chapter 3. For after saying that there are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose glory is in their shame, he says in Philippians 3 and verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven. Paul, one time, with uh, much fervor, declared that he was a Roman citizen. And he appreciated the advantages of being a Roman citizen. I appreciate the advantages of being a citizen of the United States. My true citizenship is somewhere else. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. So Christ, when he comes again, will make us like him ultimately and completely. And we'll get to be like him and with him forever in a place called heaven. But in the meantime, we're here on earth. And we have to deal with this world that is filled, frankly, with those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Who don't understand the love of Jesus. Who don't understand the love of their God. And I think we need to talk about the shame of pride in sin. Any sin that we're prideful of. But particularly the ones that are being celebrated this month in our country. Let's start with this. All have sinned and yet all are loved by God. Here's the biblical viewpoint of God toward humanity. God created us. God loves us. He is our Father. He wants, as we talked about fathers this morning, He wants the very best for us now and in the future. And while in dealing with our own earthly fathers, uh, if they were good men, they, they might have, we talked about this morning, they might have disciplined us, they might have punished us at times. We might have thought, well, they hated us, they don't want what's good for us, they, they just want to control us and all that sort of thing. But most of us who had godly fathers like that have grown to realize in our maturity that sure enough, they were wanting the best for us and that we turned out way better than we would have otherwise because sometimes they disciplined us, because sometimes they expected more of us than we thought we could give, because they wouldn't tolerate are just being lackadaisical and ungodly. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, every one of us in this building is accountable age, has sinned and fallen very far short of the glory of God. We are not what He created us to be. We are not 
what he wanted us to be. We have all sinned and fallen short of his glory, his glorious being, and what he wanted us to be from the beginning. We have all sinned and fallen, everyone in this room. And yet, and yet, though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23. Wow. And yet, and yet God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ didn't die for just the good people. Christ died for everybody. And the sins of pride that are being celebrated even now in our country, every last person on earth and all of those who are committing those sins, Christ, even while they're committing those sins, was dying for them on the cross. He gave his perfect life. For all of us. And none of us deserved it. Not one of us. That's the reality of the love of God. And so we begin with this point. To understand and to see. That when we look in some ways in abhorrence. And we'll talk about that in a minute. At at the kind of attitude that many in our country have towards certain kinds of sins. And yet still. God loves every soul. He sent his son for every soul. And our concern first and foremost should be God's concern. The eternal well-being of those souls. That's got to be the first concern. You say, well, it's so hard to look at a person or to interact with a person who's so very godless in whatever way you're talking about. God sees that too. And still, Jesus died. All have sinned, yet all are loved by God. God wants us to know that sin brings shame. Sin is a violation of his law. 1 John uh, 3.4 tells us that sin is lawlessness. It's a violation of the will and the law of God. Sin is lawlessness. And so we so much spit in the face of Almighty God. He's told us, here's what I want you to do. And we say, no, I don't want to do that. And so we just go do what we want to do and violate the will of God. And, and that's shameful. It's, in fact, the very definition of shame. So many times in Scripture, when the Bible uses the word shame, it uses it in a synonymous way with sin. There are a number of contexts where sin and shame are interchangeable in the context. And so Daniel will say in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 8, he's praying to God after spending seven years in captivity for the sins of his people. He's praying to God in Daniel 9 and verse 8, and he says, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because, because we have sinned against you. Shame belongs to us. We, and what's, what, how would we say it today? We own it. It belongs to us because we have sinned. We as a people have sinned. We as individuals have sinned. 
We own shame. It belongs to us. Daniel was a good man. But he's saying shame of face belongs to us because of the sins we've committed. And because of sin and because of the righteousness of God, God's going to punish those who have no shame in sin. Not turn away from it, who do not respect him, who do not return his love. In Jeremiah chapter 6, interestingly, Jeremiah prophesied right before Daniel. He lived in Jerusalem. When Daniel was taken away captive as a young man, Jeremiah was still living in Jerusalem. He stayed in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed with Jeremiah in it. It was destroyed by the Babylonians because God brought them in punishment upon the wickedness of Judah. So in preparation of that, Jeremiah leading up to that, explaining what's going to happen, prophesying about it, Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15, God speaking through him about the people, he says, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. And that's the world today, right? People, people do things that are against the will of God, and they don't even think about blushing about it. There's no embarrassment. There's no shame about it. There's pride in it. There's rejoicing and celebration about it. They didn't know how to blush. Therefore, they shall, therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. God had pleaded with his people in Judah. Please look at my ways. Please consider this is the best path to take. Please look what I've laid out for you. A life of goodness and a life of blessing and a life of holiness. And it could all be yours. And time and time again, the people of Judah had said, we will not walk in it. And how many people in our country today have, are saying, in essence, the same thing? There, you know, yeah, we've got, there's a God and there's a Bible and we will not walk in it. Well, how, how does that sit with God? Well, what God said to Judah is, I've offered and I've offered and you've turned me down and turned me down and rebelled against me and been obstinate about it and hateful toward me and I'm just going to let you have what you deserve, which is destruction. And that's what he gave them. And Jerusalem was leveled to the ground and burned with fire. And his people were killed or taken captive. It was wiped out, practically obliterated from the face of the earth. Because of that attitude. Because people did not know how to blush or be ashamed. There are things we need to understand about all of this. There are Things in the world that we're going to be hated for. And there are things in the world that we must hate. And I don't use that word lightly. I know it's a um, flashpoint kind of word, isn't it? Hate. Christians are often labeled as haters. And there are some things that indeed Christians hate, but it's not the things folks charge us with. The reality is that it's often those that charge us with being haters that hate the most. Jesus experienced that when he walked the earth. 
Jesus said in John 7 and verse 7, the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Jesus came as the righteous, holy son of God, and he tells the world, hey, you're not doing the right thing, and so the world hated him. The world didn't want to hear that. People love darkness rather than the light, John 3 says, because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to come to the light. But in John 15 and verse 18, he tells his disciples, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 13, John writes, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. And so the world hates Christians and calls us the haters. How's that for irony? But that's the reality. Jesus said, told us about how to react to that. What are we going to do? Hate them back? I'm going to hate you more than you hate me? <laughs> no. You don't fight fire with fire, folks. It never works. Fight fire with water. Fight hate with love. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus said, Luke chapter 6 and verse 22, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. That's a blessing. We are greatly blessed. We are greatly blessed. But God's people do hate evil. We love the souls of those, no matter who they are. But particularly, you might notice the things that we're even talking about. Back in the book of Proverbs, chapter 8 and verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And then the next thing that's mentioned, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth, I hate. Why do we hate them? Because the people, because we, 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 we hate the souls of the people? No. Because those things are abhorrent to God. Because they're, again, shameful things that disrespect and dishonor the God of heaven. Pride leads to rejecting God then, lifting ourselves up, lowering God in our estimation, and ultimately dishonoring our bodies. So I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, if you're following along, in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to spend a few minutes now in this particular context noticing some things that the Apostle Paul writes here directly on this point. I'm going to start reading in verse 20. Paul says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Let me just, we, we haven't made a great formal argument for the existence of God, but I think that's the starting point of our discussion with the world here. That God does exist. And since the creation of the world, all you have to do is look at creation to know that there is a creator. Design demands a designer. You cannot have design if you have no designer. And there is design imprinted all over this universe. And especially in the plant and animal life that exists on this planet. Design is everywhere. And frankly, it's design that is inexplicable by the general theory of evolution. There are so many holes in it. I mean, you, you talk about having to live a life of faith. I don't know how evolutionists do it. But a divine designer explains it. 
So what Paul says, his, his argument leading up to what he's going to say is, look, the invisible attributes of God, you know about God's power, you know about his wisdom and all of that, you can tell it by looking at the creation. And then he said, they're without excuse. In other words, there's no excuse for not realizing that there's a God. Because although they knew God, verse 21, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. What do they do, Paul? They changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So rather than glorifying the God of heaven, who is eternal, immortal, and invisible, they create some image with their own hands and say, look at the work of our hands, and that's our God. And that's not really much different from what's going on in the world today. Human beings create technology, social systems, all sorts of things, and they say, look at what we have made. And this is what it's all about. It's what humans have done. Humanism, then, is the moniker of our time. Paul recognizes that that's what those people did. If we fail to acknowledge God, as these people did, refuse to acknowledge God, what Paul will say to us is that he's going to give us over to disastrous consequences. So, look at verse 24 now. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up to uncleanness. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Look at verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them over. They rejected Him. He let them go. These people didn't want God. Just as the world today doesn't want God. They don't want there to be a God. And if there is a God, they want Him to leave Him alone. They don't want to honor Him. These people that Paul is writing about didn't want God. They knew God. They did not glorify Him as God. They changed the glory of God into a human image. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, verse 28 says. So God gave them up and he gave them over. God gave them up and he gave them over, first of all, to uncleanness and lust, in verse 24. In other words, dirty minds and evil desires. You want to live that way? God's going to let you do it. He's not going to stop you. You notice that? people in the world, you know, complaining about, well, God won't let me do what I want to do. You're doing what you want to do. What do you mean? God gave them up. He let them do what they wanted to do. What their lusts, what their evil minds invented. He gave them up, in verse 26, to vile passions. The word vile means that which is disgraceful, dishonorable, reproachful, and shameful. Desires and passions which are just embarrassing. He gave them over to a debased mind in verse 28. The word debased means that which was rejected. 
You think about somebody on a quality control line and something comes through and it doesn't meet the specs, you know, and, well, this isn't going to work, and so they reject it. They toss it, take it off the line, right? He gave them over to be rejected because they wanted to be rejected. They didn't want God. These people are described as committing the following shameful things. Paul says they dishonored their bodies. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things that are unfitting, being filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, and I won't read the rest of that. There are a lot of other sins there. They dishonored their bodies because your body's not made for sexual immorality. It's made for God. Your body's made to glorify God. You are created in His image. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says explicitly that. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 13. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And he says also in that context, glorify God in your body. That's what your body was given you for. To honor Almighty God. They exchanged, it says, you notice, the natural use of their bodies. Natural. God gave men and made men and women different. Outwardly, you can see that. A lot, of, a lot of other differences between men and women. Both are made in the image of God, but different. Each body... Again, you don't have to have much more than about an eighth grade education to see that the male and female body, bodies are different and they're made to do different things. And yet, what is very natural and what God created things to be, we're just going to mess that up and exchange or change the natural use. The word nature there... Um, refers to that which is inborn, agreeable to nature, or governed, governed by the instincts of nature. They exchanged what's natural, and they committed what is shameful. And that particular word, translated shameful in the New King James Version there, actually refers to something that involves a man or a woman's private parts, if you will, being used in a way they weren't designed to be used, specifically refers to that. And so Paul said, these things are not fitting. And literally and figuratively, these things are not fitting. That's not what they're designed to do.
But it's not only all of that. It's also that these people who rejected God, who he turned over and allowed them to do all of these things that they wanted to do to their own detriment. They approve of those who practice such things. He goes on as he ends this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 32 about all, committing all of these sins. He says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And that's what we're seeing in the world today. It's what Greg was talking about the other, not, other night. We're not just being asked to tolerate. We're being asked to accept and approve. And frankly, it's going from being asked to do that to have demands placed on you. You must accept and approve. These demands of our culture and even now of our government at times, of businesses, and Greg made the point the other night, a lot of the power of our government has been transferred to the corporate world in doing these things on behalf of Satan. A lot of that is not any different from what Paul experienced in the first century. Prayer is going to help us deal with these things, with these pressures. I'm going to talk about that some more in a second, but I just want to share a couple of other things with you before I get to that. Paul had said, these people approve of those who practice these things. I just want to get, get us to step back for a minute and really think about, we're being told a lot in news media and society and just chatting across the table from people about who all approves of everything that's going on out there in the world today. And frankly, it's not as many people as you think, as you've been led to believe. The Gallup organization, uh, probably the most trusted polling organization in the United States of America does a yearly poll on values in America. They've been doing this for many, many years. And it just came out this last week, the one they did for this year. And they polled a number of other moral, number of moral values uh, of Americans. And this was just released uh, on the 12th of June. The Gallup poll found that a majority of Americans, 55%, consider changing one's gender to be morally wrong while 43% say that's morally acceptable. And those results are actually slightly less accepting than 2021 when 51% thought that changing your gender was morally wrong. Now it's 55% who think that's wrong. That's actually trending in a godly way. What does that matter? Well, it doesn't matter. God's word says what it says regardless of what people say, regardless of what... But I just want you to know that, yeah, there are people that approve of of the things that Paul condemns in Romans 1, but not everybody. In fact, not even most people. The devil wants us to believe a lie that, well, you know, he's always going to win and be victorious and we have no hope. That's not right. That's not right at all. This Gallup poll also found that a larger majority of Americans now, 69%, say that transgender athletes should only be allowed to compete on sports teams that conform to their birth gender, 69%. A couple of years ago, it was only 
But now 69% are saying that. So that's trend. And of course, that's around sports. That's not really about right or wrong, is it? <laughs> it's just a sense of fairness when it comes to sports that's compelling that. But overall, and this is another in- interesting stat that came out of that poll, 83% of Americans, 83% think that U.S. moral values are getting worse. That's a sad reality, but it's also hopeful to me because it says to me that there are 83% of my countrymen in this country who really don't want things to be going the way they're going. But how do we deal with the pressures? Is it by getting all political? Greg talked about all that the other night. I'm going to rehash all that. Is it by, you know, marching in the streets or making nasty posts on Facebook or what, what are we going to do? We're just going to live our lives for Jesus. And we're going to pray. In the fourth psalm, the Lord sets apart the godly and those who trust him. David says, Hear me when I call, O my God, God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. You have mercy on me. You hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory into shame? People want to shame Christians. People want to shame godly people. We're standing up for what's right. How long are you going to do that, sons of men? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly, and the Lord will hear him. The Lord will hear that godly man. Prayer works. Prayer is powerful. Prayer will support us in doing what is right. So you might remember we started half an hour ago or more, (laughs) looking at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 had said that there are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. How is Paul going to deal with a world like that? The next thing he says is, our citizenship is in heaven. And the next thing he says is, pray. Less than 10 verses later in the book of Philippians, You come to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, and Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We are here at Eastside in God's family, a house of prayer. And there is our defense, and there is our power, And there is our hope that the God of heaven is listening and works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that is hopeful. Do not be deceived. I want to spend, as Greg did the other night, just a couple of minutes talking to our young people. We have a number of young people here tonight. And I want to tell you that the other thing that this poll showed was that while the vast majority of Americans do not agree that it's okay to change your gender. That's problematic among 18 to 29-year-olds. The poll showed that 60% of younger adults said that changing one's gender was a morally acceptable thing to do. 60%. Because, you see, 
you're under the pressure of our society the most. You understand and have seen, have not seen, how the world works. Satan wants to get you to think like the world thinks. Wants to get you to turn away from God. Do not be deceived. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. And he goes on and lists several other kinds of sinners. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But you know the other thing that Paul says as he writes to the church at Corinth? He says, and such were some of you. Some of the people in that church had been those kinds of sinners. All of that, as I said, was in the Greco-Roman culture of the day, as it is in our, our day. All of it was. But he says, you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of Jesus Christ. You can be cleansed from that. God still loves you. He still wants you as his child. You can be washed from it. But don't be deceived. You can't keep on doing those things and inherit the kingdom of heaven. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You hang around folks who believe in evil things, who turn their back on God. Your social media friends are that way. They'll influence you to think the same way and do the same thing. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Nobody's getting away with anything. Not going to happen. Nobody's getting away with anything. Either you're going to be punished for your sin, and we've all sinned, we've already said that, or you're going to get your sins forgiven in the blood of Christ. Those are the only two options. But you're not going to fool God. Do not be deceived. God said of Sodom, they were haughty. That means proud. They committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. God said, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. That's not my responsibility to do. God will take care of it. I'm thankful that God is God. I'm thankful that he's my God. And tonight, he can be your God. Whatever it is that might be amiss in your life, whatever attitudes of rebellion, denial, turning away from him that you may have had in your life, God still loves you. still wants you as his child. And whether you're a Christian who's just wandered away or somebody who's never named the name of Jesus and been against the cross of Christ, Still, Christ died for you. And even tonight, you can change your direction. And if you're willing to do that, to name the name of Jesus and be baptized in water for the mission of your sins, or to turn away from things that you've been doing as a Christian, that door is open. We'd ask you to come while we stand and while we sing.